Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. We're starting a new series here in Colossians, and we're calling this Jesus at the Center. Jesus at the Center. And so today, as we jump into the book, um, I'm not going to so much preach an expository sermon or so where we would break down every line and, and word as you'll, you hear normally here on a Sunday morning. Nonetheless, I am going to preach. We're going we're gonna to hear the word this morning. It's going to happen. Um, but what I want to do is kind of, from bird's eye view, give you like a map, if you, you know, Waze or Google Maps. I want to give you a map as we journey through uh, the book of Colossians, and I want to help you understand the why behind us going through this book. I believe that Colossians has a word for us today as a church, as well as our society. So today, let's jump into the uh, Bible this morning. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 in Colossians 1. If you got it, go ahead and stand to your feet with me as you're flipping. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 14. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. If you're online, write it in the chat. Starting in verse 1, hear now the reading of God's word. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed to the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. You got to love Paul's run on sentences. It says he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us the love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased. I love that not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The very word of God. Amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, keeping Jesus central. Keeping Jesus central. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, you got to keep Jesus central. And go ahead the other way and say, you got to keep Jesus central. Come on, this is a practice, black church. I'm getting y'all talking up in here, okay? I'm getting y'all prepared to talk back to me, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for you. Uh, thank you for your word. God, I do pray as I pray 
every week that you would hide me behind the cross so that you may be lifted up. Decrease me so that you may increase. Let it not be my words that are spoken, but let it be your word. As we need to hear from you, Jesus. And we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Well, as we jump into Colossians, by way of intro, the reason we're, we're going to be walking through this book, Trev, is, is that it, I really believe it speaks to us. And, and the general gist or the underlying understanding of the book is that Jesus is above all. Jesus is supreme. He's all we need. Essentially, when you get into the book, as we walk into this book, it, it, it's about the centrality of Jesus, making Jesus central. Now, you ask, well, why is this important? Well, let me say this, because we're, we're living in a day and age where uh, what we believe, or should I say, the centrality of Jesus has been kind of pushed to the fringes. It's, it's been undervalued, and, and, the, and for the Christian... Instead of him being who we believe in, we move, breathe, and find our being, Jesus has just become a part of our lives. Any, any 80s babies in here? Come on, represent. Early 90s, maybe. Uh, before 80s, y'all can represent too. I need a, come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all remember those lunch trays back in the day that, uh, you know, at school you would go through the lunch line and they had the... They were kind of partitioned off. They had little sections. Y'all remember that? You know, lunch trays like that. Come on, we had the styrofoam joints. Now you can't use styrofoam because they say it's killing the earth and stuff. But we 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 had styrofoam foam lunch trays, and we would we would walk through the line with this. And I think the reasoning behind it was so that you could get kind of the right portion of food. So you had your grains and your vegetables, and 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 hopefully the partitions and the sections would help you get the right portion. But and somebody, some people love these trays. Some of y'all in here love these trays because you're the type of people that don't like food to touch. <laughs> I don't get it. But some people hated these trays like me because the tray and the section kind of dictated the portion of food that you got. Somebody, I heard, yeah. So, so, so you might have a burger in the big section and if it's a burger and fries... You got a big old burger, and then they give you like one or two fries in the small section. And all my football players in here are like, what am I supposed to do with this? I like to eat. But see, again, they're trying to control the portions and, and section off the food and give you the right amount of food instead of all of the things that you want to eat. The reasoning behind it is good. But see, here's what I'm trying to get at. That lunch tray that you look, like, look at is, is pretty symbolic of our lives. It's symbolic of our lives because in one section of the tray, you might put your job. Another section, you might put your hobbies. In the other section, you might put your family. Another section, you might put your friends. And then you might squeeze Jesus or your faith on the tray some way and then you look at the tray and you're like oh my goodness it's all great because I got my life somewhat organized but in reality watch this 
everything on that tray is competing for your time and your attention. Which therefore means that Jesus is at war with everything on the plate trying to get your attention also. Don't miss this. See, the Christian in reality in our life is to be one where the whole tray is about Jesus, not just one section. Everything you do is to flow from your relationship with Jesus. For example, the way you love is to flow from a relationship with Jesus to where when you think about Jesus' love and the way he loved, Jesus died on the cross. He gave his life up for everyone around him. He gave his life up for the sins of the world, even his enemies. But apart from Jesus, the way we tend to love, watch this, the way we tend to love is we only love when it's convenient to us. We only love when it's for our betterment or for our good. And then we turn around and we say, well, and we start wondering why all these marriages are falling apart. Why is the divorce rate so high? Why is it so many fatherless homes? Well, look, look, look. The tray ain't been about Jesus. He's just had one section of the tray. See, when Jesus is the tray... It affects the way you do everything. Let me give you another one. It affects the way you, you give of your money. So when giving a tithe and you're in church or something of that matter, we don't like talking about this, but when you give a tithe now because your tray is about Jesus, it, it, it means nothing. It, 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 I'm going to give it because it's all God's anyway. Or, or, or better yet, when I see somebody in need or a poor person in need, I'm going to give because now it's life-giving. Because I remember when I was down and out, when I was in my dark places, and Jesus reached down and helped me out of that place. But see, when your tray is not about Jesus, you don't give anything. And we become, like Pastor Steve said a few weeks ago, the most consumeristic people ever. It's all about more info, more money, more house, more job, more life. Like Drake says, we need all of this. It's all about me. Nobody else. So we don't give of our time. We don't give of our money. We don't give our talent to anything, let alone church of the kingdom, because it doesn't fit in my organized life. Hopefully y'all follow me with this. I could give you example after example after example, but the real point I want you to hear is that when Jesus is not central and we make him just a part of our lives, we may think we got it all under control in our lives, but in reality, we end up more stressed because we're trying to control everything. Anybody, anybody be honest this morning and you, you feel stressed this morning? Come on. Come on. We've been there. You see, when Jesus is, is not the trade, but just a, a part of your lives, we end up more depressed than ever before. Because we're, we're sitting at life and we're looking at the reality of life. And we're like, this is too much for me to handle. Racism and, and a pandemic. And now we, you know, there's a war going on. That's too much for me to handle. We end up lacking freedom. We end up worrying more and, and we're less organized, although we think we're more organized. Hear me, living for Jesus and keeping him central 
means that your faith in him is not only affecting every part of your life, but now your faith in him dictates every part of your life. It's a big difference. So when I make a purchase, whether it's a big purchase, a house, or it's my new shoes, I don't, I don't just go out and make the purchase, but I, I come back to the word and I start consulting the word of God and I'm praying about it and asking, am I a good steward of my finances by doing this? Is, is this going to be a good stewardship decision? Oh, I'm thinking about getting married. Uh, let, let, me, let, me, let me slow down a bit and, and instead of just, oh, we love each other. Well, what does the word of God say about a godly man? What does it say about a, a godly woman? What, what is godly counsel saying in my life before I just jump on out there and get married? Thinking about taking a new job or contemplating a big move, which many of us are there. We just moved here. We're moving away. We're thinking about these things. Well, well, well let me slow down. Have I prayed about this? Have, have I went to the word of God yet? Have I sought godly counsel? Have I thought about the fact that I'm going to leave community that I've been invested in and now I got to go figure that thing out again? See, family, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Every part of the believer's life, even though we may feel like we have the answer or we can do things all in our own strength, we ought to live from a place of faith in God's word and not our feelings. Let me, let me see if I can make this, this bit plainer. I only got about five amens, so I got to help you out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we know about trains here in Chicago, right? Trains. And I'm not talking about the L. I'm talking about trains. I mean, where they transport goods and sometimes people are riding on. There's really three major parts of a train. And I've, I've talked about this with some of you on counseling. When we're making decisions and we're thinking about if things central on, is it central on, uh, centralized on the word of God or is Jesus central? There, there's three parts of a train. You got the first part, which is typically called the, the locomotive. This is where the engine sits. This is where the conductor sits in the train. And then the, the second part you have, it, it's the passenger cars where the people sit or it's the car where the goods are being transported. And, and then the last part, anybody know it? The caboose. Y'all can say it like y'all know it. I know y'all had train sets back in the day. Come on. So you got the locomotive, you got the passenger car or where the goods are, and then you have the caboose. Now, I need y'all to interact with me a little bit. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want to be just talking to myself. Can the caboose run by itself? No locomotive connected to it, no passenger car. Can the caboose go by itself? No. Can the booze, caboose, if it's hooked up to the passenger car, can it pull the passenger car? No. no trick question here, no. Well, let me try the passenger car. Can the passenger car run by itself? If the passenger car is hooked up to the caboose, can it pull the caboose? No. All right, well, let me try this one. Can, can the locomotive, the engine, where the conductor sits, can it run by itself? And nothing else attached to it. If I attach the, the passenger car to it, can it pull the passenger car? Can it, can it pull the passenger car and the caboose? Yes, it can. Follow me with this, family. The locomotive or the engine is representative of the Word of God. 
the word of God doesn't need anything else attached to it. It can move, it can run, it can work without anything attached to it. It stayed the same, it doesn't need anything else, it, it, it runs, it's, it's all it needs in its own. Now watch this, this is where we come in. The passenger car is representative of our faith. The passenger car can't move, can't do anything. In fact, your faith is in vain if it's not connected to the word of God. You can't move, you can believe all you want it, but if it's not connected to the word of God, it means nothing. Now here's the one where we all get in trouble because the caboose is representative of our feelings. It means nothing. We don't need it. it it's nothing on it. It's just the last part. But if we keep it, it has to be connected to the passenger car, our faith, which is connected to the conductor and the locomotive. Y'all following where I'm going? You see, if we have faith in the fact of God's word, then our feelings become a result of our faith in the fact. But see, this is where we get in trouble. And this is why so many of us are struggling right now in life and in the season we're in. Because instead of the locomotive of God's word driving our lives and being central in everything we do, you know what's been central? Our feelings. And so our feelings are driving what we believe. It's, it's driving the word of God. And now because of that, we've been tossed to and fro by every wave of theology and every wave of reason that comes our way. And we've been lost because Jesus hasn't been central. Instead, we just make him a part of our lives. And in reality, we only make him a part when we feel like it. See, We've been in a pandemic, and, and here's the reality. The feeling creeps in. It's like, well, I've been online. I, I, don't, I don't know if I feel like going to church today. So, so I'm just going to stay back. You know, I don't, I don't feel like going to group this week. I've had a hard week. I'm tired. I, I don't feel like doing that. So I'm, I'm going to skip out on community. I'm, I'm going to skip out on fellowship. I, I, I feel like I can these shoes. I, I got power. I got a credit card. I can do this, but I, I know if I buy these shoes or this outfit, then I can't give like I want to do at church. I can't help this person in need, but you know what? I'm a, I feel like I deserve me a pair of shoes because I've had a hard week. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel like I'm just tired and I, I don't want to read anymore, so I'm not going to read my Bible, but instead I'm going to Watch Netflix. Friends, Jesus and our faith is to be central to our lives. And Colossians and Paul, as he writes it, he'll tell us as we get into this book that if Jesus is central, then all those things that we long for, all that satisfaction, all that love, that joy, that peace, if Jesus is central, then you'll find it. My prayer for us as a church as we walk through Colossians over the next couple of months is for the non-believer as well as the believer alike is that we would all grow deeper in our understanding of what it means to live with Jesus being central in our lives. Jesus is all we need.
nothing else. Nothing else. Y'all so quiet I could drop a pin in here. Thanks, Tim. I love you, man. Now, as we get into the text today, just a bit of information as we look at the book here, I got to give you a bit of background. As you see in verse 1, it says that Paul and Timothy are the writers of this book. Timothy is probably more so like a secretary to Paul as he's writing this book because Paul is in prison right now around 62 AD. He's in prison and he's writing this letter. And it says also that Epaphras, who's mentioned in the text, uh, he is most likely with Paul in Rome, and he's the one who's informing Paul about the threats that are swaying the Colossian church away from Jesus. So Paul, he grabs a pen and he starts to write this letter so that they, could, they would stand firm. And he, he, he wants them to stand firm and continue to grow in maturity towards Jesus. Again, the one theme that is predominant in this book is the centrality of Christ. And some, some theologians would say that there's no other epistle that is as Christocentric or Christ-centered as this one, which begs the question, why in the world would Paul write this book to this church? Why would he write it now? Well, during this time at Colossae, there, there was a, a wave of different theology and a development of false teaching that was coming into their culture that threatened to undermine the teachings of Epaphras as he taught and the church began. So scholars have argued for centuries over what this actually is, this development of false theology. We don't know exactly what it was, but some people think it was the development of Gnosticism, where it has taught that everything that was made was made from an inferior God. And the material world is inherently evil. On the other side, some people thought this was Jewish mysticism. And some people thought that it was some shaman-like figure that was running around saying he's Jesus. And people were being draw, drawn to him versus Jesus. We, we don't know what it actually is. But we know that there was different theology and different waves of reason that was undermining uh, Christianity. So Paul, just like any father or church father for that matter... When he sees this trouble starting to arise in the context, or when he hears about this, he, he steps on in. He steps into the burden because even more so, more disconcertingly, the implications of these new teachings threaten to remove the church from its solid foundation in Christianity. So, so Paul steps in and he affirms the centrality of Christ. He affirms who Jesus is, and he, he, he pushes them to continue to walk and, and mature in Christ. See, see, Paul makes this understanding of Jesus being central to the Christian faith very clear throughout chapters 1 to chapter 2, which then leads to the beginning of chapter 3, where he begins to speak more practically. Paul basically says, church, don't be fooled. Jesus is still supreme. He's above everything here on earth and in the invisible realm. In fact, look at these verses with me. I love these verses here. We're going to talk more about them next week. Verses 15 through 20. Look at it with me. Listen to these words. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, I love these words, and we'll look at them next week a bit more in depth. But what Paul is basically saying here is that Christ is supreme. Don't forget it, family. He says Christ is supreme in heaven and on earth. He's supreme now, and he's supreme later. He's, in, he's supreme in what you see and in the invisible. He's above all things, which, hear me, for the believer, this understanding of who Jesus is has direct Implications on how you live today. This leads Paul in the chapters three and four where he, he takes it a bit further now. He, he, he takes the opportunity to encourage these believers. He says, press on towards maturity in Christ by continuing in your battle against sin. He says, continue to press on and pursue holiness in Christ and, and learn to live as distinctively Christian in your households. Basically, as I said earlier, what Paul is saying is that when Christ is at the center of your life, when he's central and you understand his preeminence, you understand his superiority and what he's done on your behalf, then it informs the way you live your life. But see, the problem is, as I hinted at earlier, is that believers, especially in today, uh, is that I believe... Don't miss this. We, we have this cognitive understanding of Jesus being supreme. We, we, we cognitively or we, 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 we think or we, we know and understand that he's supreme. But for most Christians, this understanding does not inform your practice. Your orthodoxy or what you believe does not line up with your Orthopraxy, your, your, your practice. Which therefore, what happens is, as I said earlier, this is where you start swaying all over the place. Because you may know he's supreme or you think it, but deep down in your heart, you don't believe it. And you're tossed all over the place. Because you're not standing or believing in the solid rock, which is Christ. Who or what are you standing on today, Renewal? Is your foundation solid? Who you believe in, what you believe in right now, is it solid? Or you feel like you're tossed to, to and fro all over the place by the wind and the waves and every wave of theology and reason that comes your way. What's your foundation look like? I, I remember um, when I was a kid, 
I went to this cabin with my father, my stepmom, my three sisters. And we were outside. It was, it was probably like 100 degrees this day. It was so hot. And we were playing ball out on the court. And I was crossing them up. I was doing all kind of stuff. You know, I was hooping on the Warriors like Brian did last night, uh, Tim. You know, I was taking them to the cup. My sisters couldn't do nothing. My, my dad couldn't guard me. But it was just hot. You know, it's one of those days where if y'all been on blacktop and it's just sticking to you and stuff, it was just hot. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but this is hot. And so we said, look, let's, let's stop playing basketball and, and, and let's instead, let's go rent a boat. And let, let's go fishing and let's jump in the lake and, and let's cool off a bit. And so we journey on over to the, the pier or the dock where the boats are. And my stepmother is over at the desk and she is, she's signing the paperwork. She's, she's paying for the boat and doing all these things. And my father, if you've ever seen him, he's about six foot four, big guy, 245, 250 pounds or something like that. He's, he's, he's all the way at the end of the dock. And and my, my, my father's the type of guy, y'all probably got some people like this in your life where you can't really say anything to them because they, they know everything. And so when you say something to them, you know they're going to snap back at you. Y'all got some people in your life like that? You know, so, so, so he's, he's standing all the way at the end of the pier and I'm watching him. He, he's kicking this, this buoy in the water. I'm like, what is this man doing? He's kicking this buoy, and, 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 and for me, it's like, well, he's standing on the solid foundation of the pier, so as long as he's on the solid foundation of the pier, he's safe. Some of y'all are getting this. Some of y'all are missing this, but he's kicking this buoy that's in the water. Let me, let me show you a picture. I don't want y'all to miss this. This is, this is what the buoy looked like, okay? And, and he's kicking this thing, and as an avid fisherman, you, you, you would think that he knew the purpose of this buoy. The buoy has a purpose. And so my stepmother keeps on signing the paperwork and she's doing everything and I'm just watching him over there. And then all of a sudden she says, I'm done. And I turn back and, and I look at her and then you hear this huge splash. I'm looking over. I can't find my dad. I'm looking around and, and, and this man with his six foot four, 250 pound butt tried to jump on this buoy. And nonetheless, the thing just flips over, and the only thing you see is his hat floating on top of the water. <laughs> now, don't miss the point in this. The point here is that as long as he stood on the solid foundation of the pier, he was good. But when he started trusting his intellect and his feelings and he stepped off onto something that was not solid, he ended up underwater. Well, boy, I, I tried to tell you. If I was in a black church, boy, y'all, I'm trying to tell you, man. They'd have been hollering up in here. Y'all missed that one. I, I need, you to, need you to follow this, though. See, because the point I'm really trying to make is that Many of us through the last couple of years in this pandemic, we've stepped off the solid dock of God's word. We haven't made it central. We left it behind 
And we stepped out onto the buoy of what we feel is right. We, we stepped out onto the, the buoy of what the media says is right. We, we stepped out onto the buoy of what our friends and our family said is right, even though they got feelings just like us. And what ends up happening as we step away from the solid dock of God's word, we jump out onto these buoys all over our life. We just jumping from buoy to buoy and buoy. What ends up happening is that we're underwater and we're literally drowning in depression. More anxious than ever before, more discouraged than ever before. More restless than ever before. And all the while, God's word, the solid dock, has not changed. It's been there the whole time. But see, the goodness of the gospel. And I got to see this with my father. The goodness of the gospel is that while he's flailing in the water, while we're flailing underwater, as we've fallen off the buoy, God's still good. Because although he can't see himself, why? When he comes to, when he comes to, and his consciousness is regained, he looks up and there's a ladder. Oh my goodness! Should I say Jesus? A ladder that makes its way back to God. See, Jesus, according to the scripture, is still an intercessor on our behalf, making way for us to find our way back to God. So when you get off path, when you get off the solid foundation of Jesus and the rock of his word, all you got to do is turn away from that mess and believe. The ladder remains. And see, some of us this morning... As we walk into Colossians, we need to stop and we need to assess the foundations that we're standing on. What's your foundation look like? You worried this morning? What's your foundation look like? Anxious right now? What's your foundation look like? You're restless. You can't stop working. You can't stop thinking. You're not sleeping good at night. What's your foundation look like? Are you standing firmly on the word of God? Is Jesus central in your life? You see, family, I, I love the words in this opening prayer and thanksgiving that Paul gives because Paul not only encourages them, but he reminds them of what Christ has done on their behalf. See, the thing that most people just skip over a lot of times when we're reading these letters, the epistles, we just skip over the greeting. We don't take it into account much. And, and I love this because Paul's writing from a prison cell. And most scholars would say that Paul has not ever seen the Colossian church. He's only heard about the Colossian church. So he's writing this letter and, and he says, while in prison, I give thanks for your faith. He's locked up. He says, I give thanks for your faith, but yet don't you don't forget about Christ who has saved you. 
And don't forget the words of Epaphras in verse 7. He says, where you heard of God's grace that has saved Jesus. Don't, don't, don't forget verses 12 through 14. I give thanks to the Father, but I, but I really want you not to forget that it is Jesus who has saved you from the domain of darkness and forgave you of your sins. You have been redeemed through Jesus, he says. But see, what I really love in this opening prayer is when Paul, the words again, he says, and then look at verse nine with me, he says, we have not ceased. I love it. We have not ceased or stopped praying for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with love. I, I love these words because as your pastor, I, I really can resonate with Paul here in this passage. You see, the Colossian church is in the throes of all types of false doctrine and beliefs being thrown at them. All these different things coming from different directions. And he says, I have not ceased praying for you. And then he proceeds to write this letter, calling them back to Jesus. Family, if I'm honest, as your pastor, I, I've prayed continuously for you and our church that God would keep us and he would protect us as people. You, you've been in this space where you've been constantly having things thrown at you. You've constantly been on my mind continuously because the reality is, is we, we've been kind of in our own little figurative prison where we haven't really been able to hug one another, hang out, do dinners. I, can't, I couldn't smack y'all in spades on the table anymore or anything like that. We, could, we just couldn't do life. And everything's been thrown at you. And many of you right now are struggling. Or you've struggled leading up to this. Your faith is, you, you, you're kind of, you're, you're on shaky ground. So my hope and my prayer is, as we start Colossians, is that we would know and that we would believe the deep love from which God has loved us through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I pray that someone in here for the first time would put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, recognizing that he died on the cross for you, that he was buried and he rose with power in his hands so that you could have life. The reason we're here breathing, living in this room is because Jesus died for the sins of the world, which means that he's sitting there. He's waiting. He's the ladder still available. He still wants to be in relationship with you. He's created you. He wants you. You are his son. You are his daughter. He wants, he wants you to be in that covenant relationship with him. And the reality is that all we have to do, based on Romans 10, 9, it says, confess with, with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. By that you're saved. So my prayer is that would happen in this church. My prayer is that, that we would... We would live from a place of making Jesus central where our worrying and our fretting starts to cease. 
I pray that we would learn to live from a place where, where we make Jesus central, where everything around us starts to begin to change. Your marriages start to change. Our families start to change. Jobs start to change. Classrooms start to change. Neighborhoods, the, the government, the city, the world. Shall I keep going? Everything changes because we've made Jesus central. My prayer is that we would be so caught up in the presence of Jesus that all we want is him and nothing else. See, listen, when, when one understands all that Jesus has done in their life, you understand who he is and his preeminence, his superiority, his glory, it, it, it changes you. And all you want is Jesus. Family, let's be the church that lives and breathes from that place. Let me, let me end with this. There, there are many songs that I've just come to love throughout my life that have got me through some tough times. I, I just like music. And I, a lot of that comes from my mother who, who sang opera and my father who loves all type of uh, genres of music. I, I love all types of music and it gets me through tough times. I, the only one I haven't got with is bluegrass. I just, you know, I don't get it. I, I know, Amanda, you're going to teach me a little bit about it, but I ain't got with it yet, you know? And, and one of the things, uh, one of the genres that I really loved, and it, it may not be a surprise during this time, it's been a tough time, is really just listening to Christian worship music and, um, because it's really been a tough time. And that's not just CCM or contemporary music. I like gospel. I like Christian rap. I like all of the different ones. And they just helped me get through this, this tough time we, we've been in. And I don't know about you all, but there's been many times. The reason I'm saying a song or music is because sometimes you can't, you can't mouth or, or speak what's going on in your heart. Some of the things that you're feeling and and, and where you want to be with Jesus. Anybody ever been at a place where you just needed a song? Yeah. Like a song of your heart? I mean, it, it, just a side note, this is why uh, the Psalms and reading it is so important. Because when you get into the Psalms and you start reading it, almost putting yourself in the passage, you can feel the writer as they're writing or pinning the passage. That they're coming from a place of heartache to a place of song. Anybody ever needed a song, just, just, just a time to worship? I needed this song. Well, there, there's this song that has been on my heart, and it's a song that's it's brought me to a place of tears many times, and I, I believe it's become a prayer really for our church on my behalf. I, so I want to end by reading these lyrics, and then we'll sing them together. It's a song Cody, Cody Carnes has this song called Nothing Else. Y'all heard that song? They playing like I'm about to sing. I ain't about to sing. Y'all don't want that. <laughs> no. Cody Cars has this song called Nothing Else, which we, we sang here in our church before, but sometimes I, I believe when, we, when we're singing and we're worshiping, especially here in church, 
we're just looking at the screen, reading the words. We're not really worshiping. See, the reality is, is that when you understand what Jesus has done in your life, it should move you. Which means that worship should be expressive. And I know some of y'all looking at me like, well, Pastor, you don't know my background. I come from the Stoic Church. I'm reformed in my doctrine, and I got Catholic and Presbyterian. And all. Look, I went to an SBC school, right, Trev, Steve? We went to an SBC school where you couldn't dance, you couldn't clap in the sanctuary. But the reality is, I don't see none of that in the Scripture. What I see is David dancing naked because of the goodness of God. What I see is the nation of Israel having week-long festivals because God has been good to them. Hear me, when God has been good in your life, it moves you to a place of worship. And this song is one that has really just gripped my heart because despite my mess and where I've been, God has still been indeed good to me. So listen to these words. I'm not about to sing it. Listen, he says, I'm caught up in your presence. He says, I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment, and I never want to leave. He says, oh, I'm not here for blessings. How many of us have been to God asking for blessings? He says, Jesus, you don't owe me anything. But more than anything that you can do, he says, I just want you. I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I've just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. How many of us, that's our story. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. He says, I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. And I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. And more than anything that you can do, I love it. I just want you. I, I just want you. And nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else will do. I don't know about you all, but how many of us can be really honest this morning? And agree that throughout this last couple of years, maybe even this last week, you've gotten off a bit. You've been lost a bit. And you're in a space where you're saying, God, I, I just, I just, I just, I just need some fulfillment, God. I, I need to feel love. I want some satisfaction, God. I, I need more of this. And, and Paul tells us in Colossians, as we work through it, he says that this type of longing, the longing of your heart's desire is only found in Jesus. 
So my prayer again as a church is that as we walk through this book, we would or we would begin to proclaim and sing together, I just want you. I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. Not today, not tomorrow or forever. I want you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. And we as a church would work hard to be intentional in keeping Jesus central. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, love us, God. I thank you for the times that even when we get off track, God, and we're we're leaving the solid foundation of your word and who you are and we jump on the buoys of life God that we there's still a way back to you thank you for being gracious thank you for loving us when we haven't loved ourselves oh God we need you God I pray as we walk through this book, you will remind us of your goodness and your love. And that we as a church would keep you central. So in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray all these things and everyone said, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.